Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. We started a new series entitled, Who Needs Jesus? In that first message, we looked at why Jesus. Why is it so important for you and I to embrace Jesus? And we saw that in the first 17 verses of Romans, where Paul, talking about the gospel, points out that the gospel is salvation to us, and that it comes through faith. Faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now when we get to verse 18, which is what we're going to look at today, through verse 32, actually through chapter 3, Paul's going to present to us why people need Jesus. And the reason why he's going to point out to us that people need Jesus is that mankind is condemned to hell. Mankind is going to face the wrath of God. And so basically what we're going to look at over the next few weeks, actually the next four weeks, is we're going to look at how Paul tells us that all of humanity is condemned. And he breaks it up into four different groups. He's going to break it up into one group, which we're going to look at today. This group, I call it the my way or the highway crowd. This is the group that says that I want to do what I want to do. Who cares what anybody else thinks? Who cares what God thinks? I'm just going to do my own thing. Next week, we're going to look at the prim and proper crowd. That's the crowd that basically is moral in their in the way they live, and they judge others, but Paul points out what their problem is and what condemns them. After that, we'll look at the third group, which is representative of the Jewish Jewish nation. I would even say of legalists in general, and that is that they have the word of God, but they don't live up to it. And then finally, the fourth group is basically everyone. He points out why everyone is condemned. So if you don't fit into those first three groups, Paul gives you a fourth group that basically encompasses everyone. So what we're going to look at today is who needs Jesus. And we're going to specifically look at that group of people that basically says it's my way or the highway. It's what I want out of life. And Paul points out to us why this group is condemned, why they need Jesus. Now, before you sit there and you say, well, that doesn't describe me, you need to listen to what the Apostle Paul says. So I want you to notice with me verse 18 through verse 32. For the wrath of God is revealed against from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, And their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like an corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. 
Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, to the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among them, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, Men with men committing what is shameful, receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was their due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God and that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Wow, what a passage. So let's dissect this passage for ourselves this today and see exactly what it is that Paul's trying to tell us. Who needs Jesus and specifically this my way or the highway crowd? First thing I want you to notice is the condemnation. Verse 18 is the condemnation. He basically gives a condemnation of mankind. And here's why. Notice the first thing. Mankind faces the condemnation of God. Unlike what you may be hearing, unlike what you may see on the TV, unlike what you maybe have heard some others say, the fact of the matter is that when you and I go to heaven, it's not going to be an issue of whether or not your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. Because I'll be honest with you. You will never have enough good deeds to outweigh your bad deeds. Period. And it's not that's not an issue. Because what we're going to see here, especially today in this passage with this group of people, this crowd, They're condemned because they have chosen to go and do their own thing. Humanity is facing a condemnation from God. Now, notice how he describes it. Verse 18, I want you to see something here because I need to explain this a little bit so that you understand what we're talking about here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. For the wrath of God... Usually when you and I think of wrath, we think of an emotional outburst. We think of facing dad or mom after they've been exasperated with us, and it's like, blah! All the anger comes out. We think of that kind of wrath, don't we? That's emotional wrath. That's what we human beings have a tendency to do. It's like if you're sitting around a campsite and a mosquito comes by and it bothers you and it and you keep swatting at it and you can't get it, finally every ounce of sinew and muscle in your body is just agitated to the point that when you finally get it, it's like smack! You've got a bruise on your arm, but it's smushed. That's emotional wrath, isn't it? But that's not what God's wrath is. God's wrath is actually the exact opposite. It's a judicial wrath. If you want to think about what wrath is, it's like the murderer being sentenced before a judge. And when the judge, representing the state, sentenced that murderer maybe to go to the chair or maybe to spend a life imprisonment, 
He's not facing emotional wrath at that time, is he? No, he's facing a judicial wrath. He's facing the just penalty for his action. And so what we see here is that God's saying that mankind is condemned, rightfully, judicially condemned because of its sin against who? Against God. And so they're condemned. And now he tells us, what is it exactly did they do? It was because of their rebellion. It was because of their rebellion that they were judged. Notice something here. He describes the rebellion in two ways. He says this, verse 18, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Ungodliness can be described as rebellion against God. Unrighteousness here refers to the actions that we commit against each other. And so because of that, because of our actions towards God, and because of our actions towards each other, we're condemned. Mankind is headed on a direction towards hell because of our unrighteousness, because of our ungodliness. Now, how did we get there? How did we get to the place that we would be heading in that direction? How would we be getting to the place where mankind today, especially this crowd of the my way or the highway crowd, how did they get to this place that God would say, I'm going to pour out my wrath on you. I'm going to give you up. I've had enough of you. Notice with me now, again, verse 18 through verse 20. Notice what he says. Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God was manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. This is the digression. How do you get to the place where God says, I want to pour out my judicial wrath on you? And as we look at this digression, can I be honest with you? This is the digression that all of us will face if we don't watch it. In fact, I was thinking this. You know, Brad, we sang that song, Come Ye Sinners, Poor and Needy. And as I was singing that song, the fourth verse stuck out to me. Listen to what it says. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall, if you tarry till you're better. You will never come off. What's the writer there saying? If you tarry, if you think that, well, when I get better or, or as I get older, if I just put it off, I'm going to ultimately come to Jesus and put everything right and, and do what I need to do. But that's not the way it goes. And what we're going to see from this passage is, is that as you go in your own way, in your own direction, the only direction is down. The only direction is a digression in your life. And see, that's, that's a scary thing here, even for you who profess to be Christians. Even for you who have maybe trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you head in a direction that you know is not right, and your direction that you're heading in is away from God, the reality is, is that there are repercussions. And so let's see what the digression is. The first thing I want you to notice is, is that they failed 
to recognize God. They failed to recognize God. They suppressed the truth of God. Even in spite of what Paul says, even in spite of the fact that they looked around at creation, they looked around at the trees, the animals, the sunset, the stars, as they looked around at the integral nature of everything. Guys, you hunt. When you look at that animal, when you shoot that animal, when you clean that animal, you can't help but notice that, man, this didn't just happen like that. This didn't just come together out of nothing. When you see how that animal is designed and how it functions in the wild, Paul says you can see the intelligence behind it. But what we do is, and this is what our culture is, is our culture looks at all of that and says, there's no God, there's no God, there's no God, there's no God, there's no God. Even though our own consciences speak to us and tell us that's wrong and that's right and don't do that. and Even though we see the hand of God in our lives. The first place on that digression downward is to no longer recognize that God's alive and working in your life. No longer to recognize Him around. To suppress the truth of Him. And you see that being played out on our TVs all the time, don't you? One denial after another. One denial after another. One denial after another as far as God existing. And if it doesn't, denial doesn't work, then we'll use intimidation. Then we'll say to you that if you do believe there is a God, you're weird. You're ignorant. You're unlearned. You're crazy. You must be emotionally unstable. But that's where our society is. It's the my way or the highway crowd. God doesn't exist. I don't want Him to exist. And so they failed to recognize God. Not only did they fail to recognize Him, verse 21 and 22 tells us that they failed to acknowledge God. Look with me at what verse 21 says. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and foolish in their hearts were darkening, and professing to be wise, they became fools. This week magazine, about ten years ago, had an advertisement from a wine company. And here's what the advertisement said. The earth gives us wonderful grapes. The grapes give us wonderful wine. The wine wins us a lot of new friends. Thank you, earth. It wasn't the earth who created the grapes. It was God. Mother Earth. The planet. It's just creation. And you notice what it says there. It says that they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened and professing to be wise what they became fools. All you need to do is just listen to the experts. Listen to them try to tell you that God doesn't exist. And you realize the futility of your thinking. Now don't get me wrong. I'm not talking against education. Education is important. But what I'm talking about is when you talk about humanity, because it doesn't want to know God, it doesn't want to recognize God, because it doesn't want to recognize God, it won't acknowledge God. Not in the least bit. It has to do with my thinking or my way of doing things. It has nothing to do with God. That's just coincidence. It has nothing to do with God. And their hearts keep darkening. And so they keep progressing down into this digression. But not only 
does it end there. Notice what happens next, verse 23. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man. The next part on the digression is this, is that they transfer their worship to creation. They transfer their worship to creation. We're no longer going to worship God. What we're going to worship... Now, I want you to understand, Paul, in his thinking here, he's thinking about a pagan who's worshiping an idol. And you might say, well, George, we don't have idol worshipers in America today. You're right, we don't, but we do. Our idols aren't graven images. They aren't little statues. Our idols are ourselves. Our idols are our thinking. Our idols are our technology. For instance, when you look at the problems in the world today, if you were to talk to a typical person who is anti-God and so forth, the most common thing you will hear from them is, is that we are able to overcome our problems. Really? Must be we haven't had somebody smart enough yet to do it because we've been struggling for centuries with the same issues. Our idols are our work. Our idols are everything else. And what we do is, is when we no longer, we no longer recognize that there is a God, when we no longer acknowledge Him in our lives, we then begin to look elsewhere and we transfer our worship from Him we transfer it to everything else. See, there's, let me just stop for a moment. You've got you to grasp this point. Let me just say this to you. If God's not number one in your life, you better be scared. If God's not number one in your life, you better be scared. Because if your worship is not focused on God in your walk, in your daily life, if God is not an important part of your daily life, I'm going to tell you right now, something else will take his place. Something else will become your focus. It might be your spouse. It might be your family. It might be your job. It might be pleasure. It might be alcohol. It might be something else. It will be something else. If God is not the focus, you've got to... See, God created you and I to be worshipful beings. We are wired to worship. You are wired to give your attention and focus to something. And that something that we were created for was God. And if you don't give your focus there, I'm going to tell you something, it will go somewhere else. It's just natural. And it's a subtle thing too. It's not, I mean, you could even be here, you've been going to church all your life and and whatever, and you believe in Jesus, but your focus isn't Jesus. Your focus is everything else. Everything else. And that's the digression. And so here they went, right on down the path where they were transferring their worship to something else. And that's the digression. It just happens. It just happens. You know, can I be honest with you? If you're sitting here and you're saying, well, I don't have time for Jesus today. I'll just make it for later. You know what? You've just signed your death warrant. Because unless God intervenes in your life, your natural bent is away from Him. Did you hear what I said? Unless God intervenes, if you harden your heart, your natural bent is to move away from God. Period. Don't say things like, well, you know, I don't need to do that right now. I'll do that later. First of all, can I ask you, just think about that for a moment. Do you even have later? Do you? Do you know what tomorrow may bring? 
Do you? None of us know. Ask the person who dies in a car accident. Did they know that they were going to get hit? No. So when we just think about how futile our thinking becomes when we move away from God, and of course when we move away from God and we head in our own direction, it's always in a downward slope. And it's slippery. Once you get caught into it, can I be honest with you? It takes the grace of God to get you out of it. And that's where our man, that's where mankind is going. You know what? All you gotta do is look at our society today. We have folks here that represent different generations. Some of you here remember the 40s. Now, you may have been a child, but you remember the 40s. Some of you remember the 50s. The 60s. We'd like to forget the 70s, but we can't. But uh, the 70s. The 80s. The 90s. And as you, if you can think back, and especially those of you who have an older perspective where you can look back over several decades at one time, you can see where when we remove God from the acknowledgement of God in our society, you can see what the Apostle Paul is saying, can't you? Where society just is going down to the slope, going down the slope, going down the slope, going down the slope, going down the slope. Hey, for instance, how many of you heard on the news that the abstinence programs don't work? How many heard that? Raise your hand. And I was listening to that. I was talking to Lori about this this morning. And I, I noticed the reaction of the conservatives to that. And they said, don't go by one study. And I thought, you know, we don't need to say anything because what we're doing is is that, and Lori said it to me, the reason why they're not working is the value system isn't there. You can't teach actions and behavior without a value system. And when, when you remove a concept of a holy God from people's thinking, but yet you want them to live in, with a moral system, it isn't going to work. So I'm not surprised that it's not working. Because at the heart of morality is who? God! And when you take God out of the picture, the slope just goes right on down. Right on down. In fact, here's what it does. Notice with me the consequences. Verse 24 through 32, he says this, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, to the lusts of their hearts, to this to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creator creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also men, leaving the natural use of women, burned in their lusts for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which is due. For even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-minded. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Here's the consequences. Several of them in this verse. Several things happen because when you head in that digression, 
When you head in that way where you don't want to acknowledge Him, you don't want to recognize Him, you're going to worship something else in your life, here's the consequences. And we see it played out in our society today. The first thing is this. God left them to their own sinful desires. Listen, I'm going to explain something to you. You don't want God in your life? You want to do your own thing? You think He's robbing you of the opportunity to have fun in this world? First of all, you don't really understand the love and mercy of God. When He tells us something, not to do something, it's not because He wants to rob you of a good time, it's because He wants to rob you of the terrible time afterward. But if you want to go in that direction where you want to do your own thing and you want to have, you know, God, just let me do my own thing right here. I want to have my way in this. You know what? He says, okay, go ahead. You can do what you want to do. He lets you do it. God lets you do it. He doesn't sit there and strong arm you. He doesn't sit there and say, well, I'll just put you on restriction. Take away the privileges. Give me the keys to the car. God doesn't do that. Has he ever done that in your lives? Hasn't done that in my life. He's not the cosmic parent who says, 11 o'clock, behold. And if you're one minute late, that's it. One week, no whatever. He doesn't do that. He says, okay, if you don't want me, if you don't want the life that I have to offer to you, if you don't want the freedom from the pain and the misery that you can bring in your life by going and doing those things, if you don't want me, that's fine. You go and you go do your own thing. And that's what he says here. Look with me. Verse 24, he says it right here. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. In particular here, the sinful desires that he's talking about is is that he says, look, you want that? Go ahead and do it. And he's talking about the issue of sexual sin. He lets them go and do it. So he let them to their own desires. Next thing I want you to notice, verse 26 and 27, is is that God let them digress into perversion. And so finally, then he tells the verses 28 to 32 that the consequence is this, that they live with no restraints. None. In fact, here's the thing. God says that it's so despicable they live without restraint that they just don't practice it themselves. They think it's okay if others do whatever they want to do. Doesn't that sound like our society today? Well, it may not be what I like to do, but if they want to do it, fine. Whatever floats their boat, let them do what they want to do. And God says, that's the consequence. You no longer want me? Fine. This is the digression. What do I have to say? Number one, whose way is important to you? Is it your way? Or is it God's way? You've got to ask yourself that question. Because if it's not where it should be, which brings up my next point. you got to be aware of the slippery slope. you got to be aware of the digression because with God is no longer your focus. If what He wants in your life is no longer the focus, you're moving away from Him and you're going down a slippery slope. So be aware of the slippery slope. And then finally, what does this all mean? Consider where you are with God. Consider where you are with God. Where are you? Are you like the my way or the highway crowd? Are you? Where are you at? Because I'm telling you, if you're not with Him, you're sliding down. You're sliding down. And see, God says, I condemn 
the mire way or the highway crowd. They're condemned. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.